This is one of those, if you're new to the Bible and you read it, there's a few stories that as you go, you're like, really? I mean, a guy's cutting himself and breaking out of chains. When you think about the demon possessment, my closest picture, and maybe because it's just in the movie theaters now, is Hugh Jackman and Wolverine. Like, I don't, I'm not recommending you see it, but I'm thinking, when I think of the demon-possessed man, like, you can't, you can't destroy the Wolverine because he, like he just keeps coming back at you. And, and I think, wow, what was this encounter like? Well, what we're going to do is this story is actually about three encounters. And there's three different scenes, and we want to look at it, and if this seems odd, there is something that Mark is getting at. He wants us to know how Jesus has power. Now let's look at the first scene and then we'll take them in turn. Scene number one is Jesus and the, and the legion. Look back at verse one. It says, he went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. And so Jesus, if you were here last week, got in a boat and Jesus is a Jew. He lives in the land of Jews. He lives in Israel. And now he's venturing out. And as Jesus goes out on purpose to non-Jewish land, for us, this is no big deal but for a Jewish rabbi, that was strange. As he goes out, he hits a hurricane force storm. And so there's, there's something working against Jesus who wants to go to this region and touch this man. And, and so Jesus is going to encounter the legion. Verse 2, when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with the impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. So Jesus, we think he may be at night. The storm happens and now he's going to dock and it's, it's like placid, it's, it's calm, and they land close to some tombs. Uh, as we're reading this, we're supposed to get the fact that this is a creepy scene. In the tombs, at night, and the most violent man shows up. Verse 3, this man lived in the tombs, and no one can bind him anymore, not even with a chain. And it, it's so bad that no one, it says in verse 4, can subdue him. Uh, the word subdue could also be translated tame him. He's like an animal. You don't tame a human being. You tame a wild beast. And so Mark, through very vivid language, wants us to know that Jesus' first encounter outside of Israel as he's going to the land. Now remember, Jesus is doing this because he's not just come for the Jews. Jesus, yes, was born to the nation of Israel, but Jesus is going to be the Lord of the entire world so even while he's here on earth, he's primarily here for the people of Israel. He's going to send his disciples to the whole world, but he gives us here a taste. Jesus wants to give his disciples, remember, he's got his 12 with them. He wants them to see what their mission is going to be like. God cares about everyone. But when they come to do what God wants them to do, they encounter the most violent of situations. And it's just a good reminder Whenever, like we prayed for Chris and his family and their missional community, whenever you choose to step out in obedience, when God leads you to do something, don't be surprised when there is pushback. Don't be surprised when things don't work exactly according to plan. It's the mystery of how this works. Jesus going on mission for the Father encounters a storm, and now he encounters a man that no one in that community contain. Now, Jesus isn't typical, and that's the beautiful part of the story. There's a contrast. Typical rabbis, Jewish teachers, they don't go to pig country. Why? This, uh, this is a land with at least 2,000 die. It doesn't say every pig died. 
Now, for the Jews, the pigs were the most unclean animal. We think like Porky Pig and like, you know, what's the pig? Oh, Charlotte's Web. Well, like, oh, cute, like, you know, excellent, amazing, whatever. Pigs were like rats in Jewish eyes. And so, as a matter of fact, if you're a rabbi, teacher, and you touch a pig, you're unclean. You're unfit for worship for seven days. And Jewish rabbis don't go to tombs. They don't go to cemeteries. Why? If you touch a dead person, you are unfit for worship. You're unclean. Mark is giving us what some of us, in a quick reading, you miss. Is that Jesus is in the least likely place meeting with the least likely people. But remember, whenever I see the work of Jesus, I see the work of God. Jesus and God in the Gospels, they get interchangeable because God is doing his work in his son, Jesus. And whenever you see Jesus, you're seeing the work of God. And so the beautiful part of this is no matter what I am going through, no matter how messy my life is, no matter how terrible my situation, Jesus is not afraid of my messy situation. And we need to hear that. We need to remember that. Jesus is not untouched by our suffering. Jesus understands what this guy is going through. He's ostracized. He's living in the tombs. He's self-mutilating. People are trying to hold him down, and he cannot control his evil bent behavior. But Jesus is right there. And so as we see in this encounter, Jesus doesn't run away. Jesus isn't freaked out. He sees him for who he can become. And I, I need to remind myself, maybe you're here tonight and you're just going through a mess. You love Jesus. You read the Bible. You go to church. You give generously. But life's tough. Hey, good news for you. Jesus is with you in the middle of that. You may feel like you're in a tomb and, and you're in, 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 encapsulated by corpses and death and nothing's going right and the job's not working, relationship isn't working, parenting isn't working, and you have nothing to fear because we need to remember Jesus isn't holed up in some temple somewhere. Jesus is here, Jesus is now, and Jesus is for you. And so that's what we see in the scene. Jesus and the legion. Now let's continue in verse 6. So the man is crying out. He's in a hopeless situation. When Jesus sees him from a distance, the demon-possessed man runs and he fell at the knees in front of Jesus. He shouts at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Um, son of the most high God, most high God. Uh, Jews in the first century, uh, Yahweh, the creator God, was known as the most high God. So that's not weird for Jesus to hear that. In Greco-Roman religion, which there in a non-Jewish area in the Decapolis, the 10 cities, the chief God of the pantheon was the most high God. So the demons, whether you're Jew or Gentile, you use that term, they recognize something about Jesus. They get. Now, this is not an arm wrestling match with the demons saying, I'm going to take you out, Jesus. This is the demons already scared to death. They recognize what the other people don't see, that God has come. And so they say, like stumbling through, they try like a magic potion. What do I mean by that? They try to invoke the name of a higher God. They say in verse uh, uh, 7, uh, what, what do you want from me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. So what you do is you're trying to cast out an evil power 
you called on the name of the higher power. So if I'm fighting with you, I call on the higher power to come and knock you out. And in a twist of ironic stupidity, the demons call on the name of the Most High God. They call on Jesus' Father. Like, the demons are like, in God's name, don't torture us, not realizing, oh, oops, like, Jesus has come, sent from the Father to cast out the demons, and so these demons don't have a chance. It's not an arm wrestling match, Jesus versus the demons, who's going to win? They are scared, they know they're toast, they know they're going down, and they're already squeaming, trying to at least get, to get hurt the least. So that's what we see here. Now, um, uh, let's just keep reading. Verse 9. Jesus says, uh, uh, Jesus asked him, what's your name? Now, this is the only time in the Gospels I see Jesus talking to demons and asking for the name. He doesn't normally do it. This is the third time we've seen Jesus cast out a demon. Chapter 1, chapter 3, and it's usually, you unclean spirit, get out, shut up, goodbye. But for some reason, he asks his name. Let me take, take a step back. Of all the narratives in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, what we're reading tonight is the longest other than the crucifixion of Jesus. So for some reason, this is going to come into play, for some reason, Mark wants us to know that, yeah, he casts out lots of demons, but let me give you juicy details about one because I want you to know something. And so we're going to see another layer in a minute. He asked him his name. What's his name? Legion. What's a legion? It's the, it's the largest military unit. Now, I'm in the military. Maybe Matt, Lieutenant Matt Karsh, what's the largest military unit in, like, in the U.S. military? You don't know this. You're enlisted or something, right? Anyone know? I'm sorry? A legion is five to 6,000. Well, like in the U.S., what do, we don't have legions, do we? Any military people? Crickets? No, anyone will Google? Someone look it up and get back to me in a minute here. Not all of you, just someone who's really fast. I was curious, and now I realize we're actually not that military savvy here. All right, so my name is Legion, four to 6,000 people, depending on who you talk to. It's huge. We are many. The point is not that he's got 6,000 demons. The point is that he's being influenced by many powers. And so I think there's a reason why Jesus calls him out on that. We'll get to that in a moment. He begged him again and again not to send them out of the area, verse 10. Um, what does that mean? Now, we don't know exactly. We can't make a big to-do about this. But it, there does seem to be from this and other passages that demons sometimes have a, 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 a geographical territory, an influence over an area. And they do somehow need a host because they don't want to be cast out into the dry places. They don't want to be in the desert. They, they feed on humanity somehow. We don't know the details, but we get a little bit of insight here. So they look at the pigs, verse 11. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. And the demons begged Jesus, send us out among the pigs. Allow us, they're asking permission, to go into them. Now, verse 13 is weird. Jesus gives them permission. Now, usually it's just get out. But here, Jesus says, well, you want pigs? Go for it. And the impure spirits went out of the man and into the pigs. And then the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. And so we don't know exactly um, who killed the demons. Now, you read it and you say, why did Jesus kill all these pigs? It actually doesn't say that. It doesn't say that at all. So you got a couple of scenarios. 
they asked, they're looking for a host. And, and so it could be uh, that the demons went into a frenzy. I think this is my opinion. This is not, you know, rock solid, but it's one guess that they were looking for a host, but that when they go into the pigs, that the pigs being influenced, which are not normally influenced by demonic powers, they start a little bit of a frenzy and they run down the hill. The demons wouldn't want to go in the pigs and then push them down the hill. Can we agree on that? But we don't know why, but we do know it ends in their death. It ends in their destruction. Now, you need to know this. In the first century, Jewish thought was that demons could die. And so the, the going of the pigs to, their, to, into, to drowning wasn't mean that they were released to affect someone else. If you were reading this in the first century, you're like, ah, oh, wow, they got crushed, which is ironic because pigs are unclean for Jews. So the demons want to go to an unclean animal and the unclean animals go down the cliff and the demons looking for another host are destroyed. So that's like the first scene. Jesus attacks this legion and Jesus always wins. Hear me, always wins over demonic powers. This is not arm wrestling. This is not 50-50, who's gonna win? Put your bet, don't bet. But if you're gambling, gamble on Jesus. Don't tweet that, that will get me fired, okay? But, but go with Jesus because Jesus has power. But you know what? Interestingly, there's something else going on here. I think the whole calling of the name of Legion, if you read this passage, you get all of these hints about Rome. Remember, we're not in Israel. Where are we? Decapolis, 10 cities. About 100 years before the time of Jesus, the Roman army swept in and they overtook everything. From England all the way to Egypt, Rome was king. But Rome was not loved by most people. If you were a call girl, if you were a tax collector, or if you were politically savvy, you liked Rome because they could benefit you. But for most, Rome was a brutal force. And so Rome, many people, whether they were Jews or not Jews, wanted Rome to be destroyed because they were so violent. In this passage, you get all of these little hints about Rome. We're going to throw a few on the screen. The demon's name is Legion. Well, that's the obvious one. Just so happens Rome has a large military unit, unit called a legion. The, the pigs, the herd of pigs, pigs don't go in herds. They're, they're not like cattle. But a herd was a group of military recruits. Pig, interestingly, uh, a wild boar was like the symbol for the legion that was stationed in Palestine in the Holy Land. It was, it was a throw in the face against the Jews. Their flag was a pig, which was unclean and unholy to the Jewish people. So there's a little bit of a connection there. The pigs rushed. Uh, the word literally is charged as if you're an army charging off. So it, it seems to be there's little nuances that, that the big power is Rome. Jesus Yes, the story is about Jesus going to set this one man free. But at the same time, what's happening is very symbolic. You see, Jesus, his acts are for the person, but his actions are also symbolic of what's to come. Many were people looking for, looking for redemption. They were looking for a savior. And so they were looking for Jesus to do something and set people free. Most people, what they were looking for is Jesus to rise up, kick out the Roman army, and rule as a king. And so Jesus does confront 
Rome, and we see a picture of how he's going to do it. It's very subversive. It's very low-key. Jesus doesn't attack Rome head-on. And that's why most people, they want Jesus killed because they realize he must not be the Savior because he has no political aspirations. But instead, what Jesus does is he attacks the power behind Rome. And that is Satan himself. That is demonic activity itself. And so what you say, what's the big deal? Why the history lesson? I would suggest to you, and this is food for thought, when you see rampant evil around the world, think about Syria right now. People killing their own countrymen, potentially with chemical weapons, inflicted on their own people. When you read stories, 1994 in Rwanda, genocide, 500,000 to a million people killed in 100 days, each other, their own countrymen killing each other. You think about North Korea, people starving and they're spending billions on military power. Whenever you see rampant national evil, you have to ask yourself, is it just a few sadistic people or is there a greater power? There are people right now being trained in camps to blow themselves up in the name of God. And that's evil. Any which way you slice it. Is that just a few people's ideology or are there powers at work? In the first century, unlike the world that we live in, everyone believed that there were powers at work. And so you and I need to step in and remember that Jesus goes for the root of evil and not just the face. And so Jesus here in Galilee, in the Decapolis, what he's going to do is he is going to come against Rome, but not in a political way. He's going to cast out the legion. And so many people wanted, uh, consider Rome to be a pig, and they wanted Rome to be like a pig drowned to the sea. And I think Mark is giving us subtle hints here. Don't worry. Don't wait. God is on the move. So remember, Mark is writing to who? He's writing to Christians, just like us who are being persecuted by who? The Roman emperor Nero, who's sadistic and vicious. And so when Mark gives us this long story, I think that there's a subtle hint, if you're reading it in church and hearing this good news of Jesus, is don't you worry, because they're wondering, when is Jesus going to come? When is he going to bring the kingdom of God? Why are we being persecuted? And you hear a story like this, and I think it brings hope. Don't you worry, Jesus is on the move, He takes care of the legion. Jesus has almighty power. Enough about that one. Let's work through, and the other two will be shorter. Let's work through the second scene and the third scene. Second scene is in verse 14. Jesus and the community. Jesus and the community. Uh, It says, verse 14, those tending the pigs ran off and reported what had happened in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. You got to remember how crazy this is. Someone says, because there's no email, there's no iPhone, terrible world they lived in, and, and they run to the town and say, you're not going to be, just come with me. They run, and what do they see? Jesus, this foreigner, a Jew that was looked down on, But this man that no one could wrestle is now clothed, implying he ran around naked, cutting himself, violent. And now he's in his right mind. He's peaceful. 
But at the same time, they also told them about the pigs. And this is important. 2,000 pigs would have crushed their economy. And so Jesus, yes, he's there to attack the legion of evil. He's the victor. He's the king. He rules. But he's also there to challenge the community. Do you really want a move of God in the Decapolis? Do you really want a move of God in the Gerasenes? Do you really want God active in your life? And they were given an option. Who would you rather have? Do you want the God who sets wild people free or are you worried about your economic condition? Um, this would have hurt them terribly. And so unfortunately what you see here is a community wrestling with the kind of God they want to serve and we see that they choose to push Jesus away because of what they didn't understand in the financial implications. They say to Jesus, verse 17, the people began to plead with Jesus. Plead with him. Please leave. And I think this says something to all of us as you think about what it means to follow Jesus and the implications is that when Jesus comes, it's not always clean and easy. It will disrupt us for the good. It will wreck your life for the good. Jesus does not want to keep us the way we are. He wants to set us right. And what they needed was a little bit of an economic shakeup to wake them up. Instead of being awakened to the move of God, all they saw was the financial loss. And they say, Jesus, we want none of it. I was in Romania uh, in the spring, and I had dinner at a pastor's house, and he had led a church uh, through the communist times of Ceausescu. And I just love to hear people who firsthand have suffered for the faith. It stirs me up. It, 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 it challenges me. And so I asked him about what it was like to pastor a church under a dictator. And he talked about how they threatened to kill him and threatened to beat him up and how they threatened his wife and they threatened his kids. And, and he was really nervous, not for his, himself, but he said, I was, I was frightened that they would kidnap my children. I'd never see them again, all because he loved Jesus. And he preached the gospel. And I said, well, what's it been like since communism fell and they began freedom? And I said, it's exciting now. I mean, those days are gone. And he said, it's harder now. I'm like, what? I mean, how could it be harder now? He's like, Jose, when the communists are here, we knew who the enemy was. You were either for Jesus and you could suffer or you were against Jesus. You were either with him or against him. And so, so we knew who the enemy was. We knew who those who wanted to crush the church and stop the gospel. But he's like, when communism left, the vacuum was filled by materialism. And he's like, Jose, today, and he, he, he serves in Timisoara, a very robust city, a very thriving city. And he's like, we've got big malls, we've got fancy cars, we have nice clothes, people go on great vacations. But he's like, when I try to lead God's people, uh, before we knew who the enemy was, we knew who, what to pray against, but now we're, we're oblivious to who the enemy is. Because the enemy works more subtly, he works through stuff. And the cares of this world keeps the church from thriving and pushing the gospel forward. What a picture of us, right? Sometimes we don't think that demons and evil and... No, no, that's in Africa. That's in Asia. No, the enemy's at work everywhere. We need to wake up 
and remember that the enemy is working in a more subtle way in our sophisticated society, but the enemy is at work. And so you and I are going to have to choose. We're going to have to choose a Jesus who, who calls us to absolute allegiance to him, or we're going to have to choose a comfortable lifestyle. You see, most of us, we want Jesus as long as he doesn't impact my lifestyle. I think one of the number one reasons that keep many of us from thriving in our walk with God, from going full on to follow Jesus no matter what he wants, it's our lifestyle. Well, what will happen if I really go and go crazy for God and go like all Bible thumping and like, what if I go all in? It may cost me. And the answer is yes. But just like the first century, that community was faced with, do you want God on his terms, the gospel on its own terms, or do you want the comforts of life? And they missed an opportunity. Jesus leaves their region. He goes back to Israel. They missed their opportunity. I hope that wouldn't be the case for you. Well, that's like a little bit of the downer, but the end of the story is totally encouraging. Let's end on a positive note, shall we? Verse 18, what happens at the end? As Jesus was getting into the boat, because they've obviously rejected him, the man who'd been demon-possessed begged to go with him. The phrase there, go with him, is the same phrase that Jesus used to call his 12 disciples. He calls his 12 disciples to be with him. It's a phrase of deep relationship. It's a phrase of familiarity. And so you've got to remember, the demon-possessed man doesn't see Jesus. He sees his close disciples. He's like, I want all in, which is such good news, except the answer Jesus gives. Uh, verse 19, Jesus did not let him go. So Jesus says, no, but says, go home to your own people. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. So this is weird. If you're reading the story, Jesus says yes to the demons. You want to go on a pig? Fine, go on a pig. You can have it. And then, but he's changed this guy's life. And he says, I want to be part of the in crowd. And Jesus says, no. Again, when we follow Jesus, sometimes he works in ways that don't make sense to us. But why the no? Well, a couple of reasons. One, he is not a Jew. And so Jesus is a Jewish rabbi, and he can't go to temple with a Gentile. He can't, he can't travel from place to place to go to synagogue. People would not understand him traveling with a non-Jew. So there's an obvious reason. Uh, Jesus came for the Jews and then sent out his disciples to the world. So it didn't make sense for that time. But I think the bigger thing is Jesus knew what a good missionary looks like. What do I mean by that? He takes someone who's from Galilee, a non-Jew, and as a matter of fact, if you read Mark's gospel, the first person sent as a missionary is who? It's this guy. This is so good. He said, well, I didn't go to seminary. I don't know Bible, and I've just been going to church for three weeks. Great. Have you encountered Jesus? Perfect. You are qualified to be on mission with him because he had nothing but being set free by the power of God. And so Jesus immediately sends him and says, go home, go to your own people. I'm going to go back to Israel, but I want you to go out. And what do you do? Tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And, and I love it. Chris and, and their, their community, they're just saying, okay, Jesus, you're at work. We're multiplying. Thank you. Be fruitful. Multiply. Take over the earth. We did that. Thank you. Genesis 1 and 2. Now what do we do? And Jesus gives this man specific direction. Go home. 
go to your own countrymen. And, and there's a place for all of us to serve. And so this blows up the stereotype, and I hope it does this tonight. It blows the stereotype of what it means to be a missionary, what it means to be on mission for Jesus. Now, I've got two brothers. Let me just illustrate this uh, and myself. And we express discipleship to Jesus in different ways. And we're all just trying to be obedient. There's my older brother. He'll be here, God willing, in October and probably uh, preach here if he's able to come on a Sunday. And he was working uh, for a brokerage firm in New York and pursuing his degree in finance and all was well. And God clearly said, no, I've got different plans. And so he left everything and left school and went and studied the scriptures and said, God, I want to be used by you. He was at Bible school and met an Estonian Fell in love with a young blonde, thought, wow, Jesus, if you're in her, I want to be with her. Like, you know. And, and she, um, during, they were, while they were in Bible school, communism fell in Estonia. She went back to serve as a translator to encourage the church and bring Bible resources. So my brother heard from Jesus and went to Estonia <laughs> in pursuit of a wife and a mission. He went, they got married there, came back to the States. They thought, we're called to support Estonia from the States. We're serving here, and then God said, go. They had two kids, no money. They picked up, and they went, and they moved. God does that. We want to honor that. Sometimes Jesus says, leave it all. Remember Peter, James, and John, Mark 1? You got fishing nets. Drop them. Follow me. And that's valid. God does take people from one culture, moves them to another. We bless that. We say yes to that. But that's not everyone. So you can't say, well, that's them. Well, I'm just like a regular Christian. I'm just a barista. I work at Intel. I work at Nike. I'm going to school. I, that's, that may be someday, but not now. No. Uh, there's my story. I get to travel from, uh, to Europe and Africa and do mission, but it's in short stints. I don't live in a foreign culture. I live here. So most of my mission is right here in the Sunset Corridor. But God, at times, you know, he sends me out and, and he sends you out. So Maybe discipleship to Jesus is do life here, love people here, but be open. Uh, you hear about a hear the cry trip to Zimbabwe, U Uganda, or Estonia, or Thailand, and, and God sends you for a season. I think uh, Tim and Sarah Greger and their baby boy, a year in Thailand serving the church, serving the people of God, and, and God does that. But that's not the only way to live as a disciple to Jesus. There's my younger brother. Uh, my younger brother's story, I've told it a bunch, he's more like the demonized man here. Wild lifestyle till he's 27 years old, no Jesus, sex, drugs, selfishness, and destruction. And my brother was literally killing himself with substances, totally addicted to cocaine, came to his senses, and like this story, in a moment he encountered Jesus at my parents' bedside. And surrendered it all and said, I want to follow you, Jesus. He was struggling with these addictions. He became a follower, but he still was craving and was at a men's retreat and cried out to God at the end of a worship set and said, God, would you just set me free? I, I don't want to go back to the world. I, I want to follow you. And bam, in a moment, he was set free from all addiction. Ten years, he hasn't touched a thing. And God does that kind of thing. So, but my brother's story is like this man. God didn't send him to Estonia. God didn't send him on mission trips. He works a job, and he's a credit manager, and we just spent some vacation with him, and it's so cool. What has happened over the last decade is God is using him in his workplace, and his manager, his boss, 
brought him in about a year or two ago and said, when I retire, I want you to take my position. He was floored, like, wow. And uh, thank you. He said, I want you to know something, Raphael. I was going to fire you because of your addiction. You were missing. I knew something was wrong. Your work was sloppy. But I gave you another shot. And I have never in my professional life seen someone change. But I saw you change. And it breaks me up because I realize my brother is a missionary in his corporate cubicle. And he's been able to share the gospel with his coworkers because God didn't send him to Israel with Jesus, so to speak. He sent him right back to the cube. And that's what God may do for you. All I want to say is tonight, we need to redefine and broaden our perspective of what it means to follow Jesus. Here's the beauty of the end of the story. When Jesus comes to a region, verse 20, the man went away and began to tell in all Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were what? Amazed. Jesus is there for like a short stint, and he goes back to Israel. Here's the cool part. When we keep reading in Mark, Jesus is coming back to the Decapolis. But when Jesus comes back, he doesn't come and leave with people pleading for him to leave. There's a move of God. And thousands of people hear the gospel. And is it because this one man went out and told his story? I don't know. Maybe he told a few people. Maybe he told his family. Maybe it was a small team. But we do know Jesus' first visit is much different from his second visit. Here's the point. When Jesus steps into a person's life, it may take time, but the circumstances will change. And that's a word of hope for you tonight. Tonight, if you're here and you're like, nothing's going to change in my job. You don't know, Jose, I've been doing this forever, trying to live for Jesus. I see no movement. Let's remember that Jesus has power. And Jesus isn't limp, and he isn't held back, and his hands aren't tied. Jesus can do anything at any time if we'll have faith like this man and allow the Spirit of God to work in our world. Well, what does this lead us to? Just a, a couple of questions because we want to respond. Uh, remember, there's Jesus and the legion. The demons respond to the presence of Jesus. There's Jesus and the community. And, and the community, they respond, they reject Jesus. And then there's Jesus and the man. And he responds, and when God touches his life, He's like, I want all in. And tonight, to kind of frame out what all in means for you, i got a couple of questions. Uh, number one, where do you need God's freedom? Some of us, you know, it's just time to fess up. Things are not the way they should be. And let's just call it what it is. You're, there's an area of brokenness, there's a need, there's a hurt, there's a sickness. It could be that you are under the influence of evil, and you don't, even, you don't even know it. But you're doing things and you don't want to do it, but you can't stop doing it. And it may be more than just you and your bad upbringing. It could be that there are powers not sent from God, but sent from the evil one to steal, kill, and destroy. And so tonight would be a great night to say, God, I want freedom. I want freedom over these addictions. I want freedom over these tendencies. I want freedom over the sin. I, whatever it is tonight. Let's not be timid. Let's be bold. Let's call on a God who sets people free. But you say, Jose, I'm doing fine tonight. Well, maybe the second question applies to you. Who's Jesus sending you to? Uh, the response of God in the community is that 
mission happens. When we encounter God, it's not for us to be tickled and feel good. We encounter God so that we can go out. We have more power. We have fresh boldness. We have new skills. And tonight, maybe you, you could leave here with a name. Maybe your mission has just been generic. It's been my neighborhood. But maybe you could press in and respond and tonight and say, God, give me a name. Give me a person. Give me one family. Give me one student. God, I want to plead with you for this person's full redemption. And if we live like that, we'll be the kind of community where we consistently say, man, it was amazing. I long for the day when we go home, it's like, who taught, who cares? Music, oh, okay, it was, it was all right. But we walk away talking about all that Jesus did. Like we're just, we're chatting on Monday morning, like, man, the gathering, let me tell you, not what a guy did or a group did, let me tell you what Jesus is doing. And we can live that way if we press in.